the gospel of the Lord. May I speak in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So over the past few weeks, I have had the same quote quoted at me multiple times. And the quote is, misfortune is unavoidable, suffering is optional. And I haven't actually got a reference from that, but every time it's been accredited to a Hindu philosopher come theologian called Patanjali. And I'm not sure what to make of this quote because I kind of see where it's coming from. So misfortune is unavoidable, so junk happens to all of us. Suffering is optional. And that's kind of a really big challenge because that kind of indicates that if we are able to respond to misfortune adequately, uh, spiritually and emotionally especially, then we won't suffer anywhere near as much. And I will say as much because I don't think we can ever eradicate suffering altogether. And doesn't that make you mad? It makes me feel kind of mad. I'm like, come on, come on. How can you say that? I don't want to be responsible for my own suffering, you know. And I think, I think it's easy with linguistics to kind of get bent out of shape about that. But I think what I've come away from that is that the center of us and where our focus and attention and strength is significantly impacts how we respond to misfortune. We've all met those people who are just amazing. You know, I remember in my last parish, amazing lady who was dying from cancer and she knew she wasn't saying oh yeah god's amazing and she wasn't doing that kind of putting it away and hiding it behind god she was dealing with it but she was dealing with it with such grace and gratitude for the life she had had and with such concern for her family um, but without kind of a lot of emotional dumping and emotional layers and i really believe that's because her center was in Christ, and she was able then to process at a very different level to the way most of us do. So I think there's some truth in this, that our center is immensely important to us. It's immensely important that we take care of where we are with God, with our connection with God, and perhaps more so now than ever before, because before we've been able to embody that connection in buildings like this and in beautiful music and in hymns. And now that part of our central expression of our faith is temporarily removed from us. And it might feel like actually we're a bit wobbly inside because what replaces these things that have held us for so long? I know I've been through a bit of that this year, and I don't mean to make anybody feel miserable, but I think, I think it's worth taking into account as we come to Christmas to really think about the hard work that we might be required to do in order to strengthen that core. And this, of course, put me in mind of physical therapy. Don't like physical therapy, but I'm one of those people who has bizarre joints that get all damaged and ridiculous, so I have to have it every so often. And, you know, a few years ago, I went for my first round, and the first thing they said was, you've got to strengthen your core. And I'm like, I don't want to hear that. That sounded like hard work. And it also made me feel a bit stupid, because I could have done that already, and then I wouldn't be injured. So 
it took me a while, a very long while, to actually take that seriously. And I know I'm not the only one who goes to physical therapy and has exactly the same reaction. It's like, look, you're not dealing with my hip. You're telling me I have to strengthen my core. Well, how stupid is that? And I think we can carry that across into our spiritual lives very easily. You know, that it's very easy to wonder why the periphery is kind of difficult at times and not go back to the center and really find out where we are. And Christmas is such a great time to go back to the center because it's that point at which everything touches. And that's why I'm saying this today, not to be miserable on Advent 4, but it is still Advent. We're not quite out of the penitential season yet. And so I want to encourage you to actually think about that, to think, where is my heart? How do I give Jesus my heart at Christmas, you know? And actually be open to that because it's quite a hard process. It can be a very emotional process. And so there's going to be a lot of letting go this year. There's going to be a lot of laying ourselves down when we come to the manger as well as receiving God's grace and love. And I think that's a very important thing for us this year. So what on earth has this got to do with Mary and an angel? Well... I carried on thinking in these terms. So Mary and the angel, super well-known story. You know, the angel Gabriel from heaven came. We're not going to get to sing it this year, but it's super well-known song for Advent. To the point where we can pretty much recite it by ourselves. You know, Mary's, yes, be it unto me according to thy word in the old language. Um, I know some people have huge problems with this story. Some people write it off because it is weird. I mean, even if you think it's absolutely letter for letter true, it's an odd story. Why would God do this this way? Uh, why does Isaiah say what he says, especially Isaiah, and why is it fulfilled in this way? Who is this Mary anyway? Why her? There's 101 questions. One of the things I was really thinking about was um, of course, Luke is using this story as part of his whole picture of the gospel being enacted, of Jesus' life being um, proclaimed through those who traditionally do not have a voice. So children and women, the sick, you know, lepers, all those people who are in uh, outcast groups, basically. So having Mary saying yes and actually being the person who will hold heaven and earth is immensely important to Luke. Um, we can't understate that, but we also then tend to dump all these assumptions in on top of what Luke's saying. Almost, you know, well, Luke likes the sick and the poor and, and the underclass, and so Mary must be female and sick and poor and all these other things. We lump them all together on her. We don't know anything about her. There is tradition, of course. All we know about her is that she was young, that she was in the Greek Parthenon, which can mean just young or it can mean virgin. So the chances are that she was a virgin because she wasn't married yet. She was betrothed to Joseph, and by any account, he should have dumped her and ran but Matthew tells us that God appeared to him in a dream, and he is a good guy. He doesn't leave her. So we know that. 
We know that her cousin Elizabeth is married to Zachariah, who is a priest. That's not really a poor family. That's a family with decent social status. So there is nothing to say that Mary and Joseph are poor or that they have any other social indicators, as we would say now, that go against them. So we need to be cautious about that because I think there's an element that we can almost feel pity for Mary, and I think that kind of undermines somewhat this story and how she responds to God. Because if she's kind of a, you know, a young girl and hasn't got much going for her, it is amazing, she says yes, but you know, she's probably naive, she probably doesn't know what she's doing, and then when Simeon says in the temple a sword will pierce your heart, she probably starts thinking, oh my goodness, what did I get into? But I want you to come back to the core idea. So what if Mary already has that solid core? What if she already knows that however it is and whatever she says yes to and whatever happens next, it's okay because she has God and God has her. So by all, to all intents and purposes, she is saying yes, she knows, although it actually doesn't happen, but she knows that Joseph can reject her. She knows that her family can throw her out. She knows that she will be shamed. She knows that she will have no life that looks anything like what she had expected. And she still says yes. Not because she's silly or because she kind of thinks this would be, you know, some sort of, I don't know. But what if she says it because that's what she would say because she's already so enmeshed with God? That actually, despite all the suffering that that would appear to cause, turning away from God would be a far worse penalty for her not putting down what she has to go through, not putting down the sheer agony of having Jesus killed, not putting down any of that. What if her choice is to do what she kind of has to do? Not because she's being forced to do it, she has choice, but because that's where her heart already is. And that's kind of what has fascinated me this week. If she's doing what she's doing because that's where her heart already is. What does that say to us? Where is our heart? You know, are we doing, are we saying yes or no based on our heart being centered on Christ? And of course, a lot of the time we aren't. A lot of the time we're thinking, oh my goodness, so-and-so is not going to like me anymore, or uh, this is going to be hard, or this is going to cause trouble. But I think that's something to work towards And as so many things have come unraveled around us, perhaps when we knit it back together, we can knit it back together with a different sort of strength. We can ask God to reform as well as just bring together. And I think we have to be willing to do that. So Mary allowed herself to be remodeled, basically, to be reformed, to be changed forever. And through that, she allows the world to be changed forever as heaven and earth come together in her. And we're invited to that same thing. We're invited to 
from that place of communion and union with God, we're invited to be the place where heaven and earth come together. Not quite in the same way, but in a very similar way. We're invited to be people of incarnation. We're invited to be Jesus' body in the world. But we have to work on our core. Because if we don't work on our core, then everything just flops around and flaps around and we suffer spiritual injury, just like we would suffer um, physical injury. And then it's so tempting to say, well, this is silly. This doesn't work. I can't do this. Just think about that. It's just a, a thought going forward this week. But I do urge you to be ready to actually put down a broken heart if you have one this week. Um, a lot of us have got bits and pieces that really are hurting and messed up and unsure and afraid. And perhaps it's easier because we're not in church in some ways, you know, in the privacy of your own home, in the privacy of your car, you can really be honest. And if you burst into tears, no one's going to see you or hopefully no one's going to care. So let's think about that honesty. Let's think about coming from the injured parts of inside of ourselves as well, because when we acknowledge our weakness, we can start to make it strong. And it is harder work than simply thinking stuff is broken and it's not going to get fixed. But it does work. You know, I kind of eventually decided that probably my back was worth strengthening my abs for. And so, you know, I'm not exactly a bodybuilder, but I'm better than I was. So just have a think about that. Maybe that's not you this year. But if it is, I invite you really just to, to open your heart, to allow yourself to be who you are as you come to Jesus um, this Christmas and to ask that you may be formed and reformed into someone who is centered, who is strong, who can withstand at least some of the bashing around that we're enduring. Um, so God bless, and I hope to see you at least in spirit at Christmas.